Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're going to take a different spin when we look at what's happening in the markets. Of course, we saw on a Friday some lower numbers happening in the corn. It was higher, nice numbers seen on the beans, and even the wheat saw some positive territory. But let's look at the bigger picture, the global picture of everything that's been going on. And to find out more details and the thought process and all this, Sean Hackett is joining us with Hackett Financial Advisors. And Sean, I think before you and I started this, you really put it well. We're not going to go back to what was before all of this happened. And and the feeling should be a strong behavioral change is going to be working globally, which in turn will be positive when it comes to agriculture. Well, when you when you think about what's happened, Susan, in the last, let's say, I would say last 20 years, we went through a massive destocking of the global food system from a stockpiling strategy to a just-in-time inventory strategy. Um, it was, it was uh, revered as the, the new age, the better way to manage everything. Um, but the problem is, it's kind of like an algorithm, right? It works 99% of the time, but the 1% that the rogue wave comes, the system breaks down and it cannot satisfy um, humanitarian needs. And, and, and I've never agreed with that destocking concept, and I believe we are going to go back to not only governments having six to 12 months of food, of key food items in storage on hand, but I also believe each individual family is going to say to themselves, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where we only have a couple of days of food in case the next rogue wave comes. This, is, this has been such a shock, and, and it's created such a fear, and, and it's opened up such a vulnerability that people didn't even consider until now, and, and, and I think it, it, is, it is absolutely permanently going to change things. And what that really means, Susan, is not only are we going to be seeing the normal demand for food over the next several years, we're going to see that extra demand coming in as every government, especially those countries that cannot feed themselves, look to restockpile and get back to a buffer system that they used to have. And, and when we're looking at U.S. agriculture and the depressed prices that we've been unfortunately dealing with for too long, that is a huge bright spot once the current crisis kind of subsides here and we get some level leveler ahead. So I'm pretty optimistic the U.S. farmer is going to be a, a beneficiary to this restockpiling strategy. You know, and it just seems like the, the change in all this happened within the last 10 years. I mean, I remember when it used to be a focus, you would see, you know, we knew our ebbs and flows of market buying, but we knew that they were looking beyond the, the six-month and, and yep. then we see this happen, and it's a, it's a perfect uh, textbook, shall we say, example of what not to do when it comes to putting food and stock reserves away for your country. It, it really is. And in anything in life, whatever you do, you know, when you get in a car, what do you do? You put a seatbelt on. You probably won't, don't need that seatbelt a high majority of the time, but that one time <laughs> that you need that seatbelt to your life, Right. So we somehow we determined that we should drive the global food system without having seatbelt on, and I think we're going to get back to a mandatory. You better put that seatbelt on because we don't know what the future holds, but we know there probably is a chance another accident is going to occur, and we don't want to see anything bad happen to anyone or any country. So I think in the long run, this is a good thing. The good thing about this virus, from what I can see. Is it the fairly benign virus unless, you know, you're in the elderly category? And so we can get through this painfully, but we can get through it. But we, if we had some kind of a Ebola kind of virus that were to kick in, 
you know, we want to be certainly prepared if that were to occur with a much better food system in place. You, we always talk, um, you and I, when we're on the air, more about uh, the smart money. And you had in your report that came out this morning talked about the the smart money insider buying that's taking place. We're seeing it in the Kansas City wheat, Minneapolis wheat, bean oil, lumber, which we don't hardly ever talk about, and the live cattle market. Yeah, I mean, we you know we've been through a lot of panics, Susan. You know, with the eight oh nine, with September eleven, you know, ninety seven Asian currency crisis. I mean, eighty seven crash. And one of the best tools that we know to use is to watch how the insiders, when are they putting their chips in during a crisis or a, or a, uh, a crash? And when are they comfortable putting their chips in? Because they're the ones that know better about all the moving pieces and when those moving pieces are ready to move in a more favorable direction. And we have noticed just in the last week some parabolic buying going on um, in a broader array of ag markets than we've seen in quite some time. And, and we're going to get some more information tonight, and I, we think it's going to broaden even further and get even more stronger. So what it's saying is that we've pushed these food prices now down to levels where the insiders, the smart money that we calculate and have an algorithm that calculates, um, are starting to move their chips in and preparing for the post-virus new world that we just discussed. And so that's something everyone needs to be thinking about, whether you're a corn producer, whether you're a ethanol producer that needs to buy corn or whatever you are, keep in mind that we're starting to push on a string and the insiders are starting to move their chips in. And that means we need to be ready for some kind of a counter trade here before too long. Are we going to start to see that pick up as we finish out the last couple of weeks in March and start to focus on April, which usually is an exciting month for, for planting and preparing for the new year? Well, certainly anytime you come to an end of a quarter season, there's a lot of adjustments a lot of a lot of money that moves around, and obviously, with what's happened this year, you know, I would, I would expect to see more of that sort of thing. Of course, we're going to get the acreage, uh, you know, planting intentions report that kind of sets the tone for the spring. Obviously, you know, Mother Nature starts coming back into the equation. We still have to look down in South America for the second crop corn in Mato Grosso, starting to get a little dry. So, there's a lot of things that if we could just get coronavirus off <laughs> the headline, you know, the headline news. And get get it to the second or the third news item. Some of these other factors are going to start acting uh, and driving our markets, and so it, it should be a period where I think we push these markets down so low that someone's going to say, "Well, maybe you know, maybe we need to be protecting a little bit to the upside." More is coming up. It's a final final bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield, continuing the conversation with Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors. And before we went to break, you're talking about this wheat market, and I think it's a perfect example of the this is what could happen because we did see late in the week, kind of as you called it, an explosion that happened within the wheat complex. So then the question is, when do we start to see that trickle-down effect to other commodities? Well, usually, you know, there's always a leading market that leads the rest of the way, and obviously the wheat market spoke this week and clearly was one of the leaders. Um, and it's just a matter of time, Susan. It's just a matter of time before we see other markets begin to do this. I mean, the world realizes they are not in the right place with food. They need to get it, and if there's any chance that, they, that a window opens, that they can get some of that into the country at a time that they're extremely concerned about their positioning, and, and given how cheap prices have gotten, you know, this is a time that, that, that they're going to jump on the opportunity um, 
and, and so it's just a matter of time. But, you know, we're just going to continue to watch and follow Smart Money and give us hints on which ones might be the next ones to be looking at. I mean, even look at the bean meal market this week. My goodness, just exploded after months of sideways trade, you know, out of nowhere, just taking off. So there's a couple of markets that you know, really, really caught the shorts off guard. And so, you know, now they're looking over their shoulder, and, and it's going to cause some more short covering uh, than not because they're, they're realizing these markets are not wanting to go down anymore. In fact, they're really wanting to go up. That's why they're starting to despite the fact that we're not even out of the crisis yet, you know? So as you look at the crude oil and the influence the crude oil had this week, sometimes we push that off to the side thinking it's not really that effective on agriculture unless we're talking ethanol. But this week it just seemed to have its grips pretty tight. Everyone watches the crude oil market as a sentiment indicator. I don't care if you're a stock, hedge fund manager, commodity analyst, Economic forecaster, there's two markets you watch, crude oil and copper. That's how you, those are your litmus tests for how's the economy doing? How's the world doing? Um, and while, while what, you, know, you could say that there may not be exactly a one-for-one direct impact with crude oil and some other commodity markets, it is a sentiment reading that people use to determine how they feel about things. And if crude oil is rising, they feel better and they want to buy things if it's getting crushed. There's got to be problems out there in the global economy. Maybe we should be selling things. And so I really view it, uh, Susan, as a sentiment indicator more than anything else. And it's a powerful one. It's a powerful one. You and I, when we talk, we always talk about the happenings in the dairy industry. And we know that there's been a lot of struggles there as of late. But uh, fellow farm broadcaster uh, Brian Winnikins in Wisconsin, who also takes our, our final bell program, was talking about who would have ever thought he would have talked about some gains seen in the milk price on a week that was kind of crazy for everybody else. Well, we've had a lot of volatility. I mean, look, the milk market's gotten hit very, very hard here, Susan. I mean, it's gotten hit very, very hard. I and mean, we've been bearish. You know, we've been warning people that, you know, we thought prices were going to be under some pressure here. Obviously, you know, when we initially made those bearish calls, we didn't exactly know the coronavirus was going to do what it did. But, but once again, you know, we kind of hit a level that got so undervalued, so cheap, uh, that out of nowhere, you know, we had a limit up move in class four prices. It caught everybody off guard. And so we're seeing more of that. We're seeing more of these upside surprises than just down, 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 down. And that's usually when markets are getting ready to turn, getting ready to turn. So so the signs are there. The writing is on the wall. Might be in somewhat invisible ink for some. But we do know that better days are yet to come when we look at these commodities. I mean, we're pretty excited. Um, and the reason we're pretty excited about uh, what lies ahead is because when the virus does go back into hiding, and, and it will, there's going to be a post-virus snapback rally as, Mark, as everyone gets optimistic that the global economy is going to fire back up, trade's going to open up, a lot of this pent-up demand's going to open up, and a lot of these trillions of dollars that have been printed and continue to be printed go looking for a, a market that's trending. And so there is a, 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 there is a really good finish to this. Uh, it just doesn't feel really good right now because we're not there yet. But there's a very good finish to this, and, I, and I'm very optimistic that producers are going to get a very good opportunity to sell a very satisfactory price here sometime in the summertime and need to be ready for that. The other thing that I would focus on is this. We know that viruses are very sensitive to temperature, and when the temperatures are cooler, they tend to thrive. That's why flu season is the wintertime, right? 
we're thinking about the Southern Hemisphere going into their winter season. And we're wondering, what if the coronavirus goes away here, but fires up in South America? I'm not wishing that upon anybody. But what if it did? What if Brazil got into a lockdown situation because they have coronavirus all over Brazil, and they shut down the ports, and they shut down their economy, and no one is available to work? What happens if those exports don't come out of Brazil? My God. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Sean? Our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have all kinds of good stuff on there. Ben, the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss. They're not suitable for all investors. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.